Welcome to the Hope Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. You can also listen to episodes on our church YouTube channel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. And I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in today. And today we're joined by Gloria Munson. Gloria, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for being here with us today. We're excited to hear your story. We always have a question that we ask folks. It's a real easy question for a starter. What kind of ice cream do you like? <laughs> My favorite is mint chocolate chip. Oh, always? Always. Never has changed. Nope. Rocky Road, in case they don't have any mint chocolate chip. You know, I have someone in my family, it's the same way. You order ice cream from Smiley's, wherever, it's going to be mint chocolate chip. So I get that. Absolutely. It's good. I like anything. I I like it because it's a little crunchy. Mm -hmm. You get Um, to crunch on some chocolate. Yes. that, (laughs) that, That makes it for me. How about you, Grace? Well, mine never changes like hers never, but right. and mine's vanilla. That's what I like, just plain vanilla. No toppings? Not usually, not preferably. So you're a plain Jane. Yeah. That's he okay. Would, he would put some Oreos in. If he, if he oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> well, it's good to have you here with us today, Gloria, and I would just love to hear a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. I know that you have... Um, Quite a story to share with us of God's grace, but we want to get the background um, and just get to know a little bit about you, and we'll get to the up-to-date um, as we move along, but tell us just a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born in Harrisonburg, and I've lived in Harrisonburg my whole life, and um, I was a hairdresser for 40-some years and uh, owned my own business for 23 And also, on the side note, I worked for Weight Watchers for 25 years. I was a spokeswoman for them and ran all of their meetings. And my greatest joy is my children. I have three children that were raised in this church. Mm -hmm. And um, I love this church. I spent 20 years being a member of this church. And I can't say enough good about the church. I remarried uh, 15 years ago and moved to the little town of Grotto's. And started a new life and started going to church in grottos. And um, I still miss everybody here, yeah. but I needed a little change in my life. Yeah. But this church has my heart. Yeah. Some would know you as Gloria Plamel. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, we want to make sure people know who this person is that we're talking to today in case they don't recognize your last name. So did you grow up in church? Were you? I did not. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I feel very sad of my childhood I was raised by a single mom. Um, My father did not have any interactions with us at all. And my mom did not take us to church. And it was not something that I even knew about or experienced it at all. The only church I ever got was when Billy Graham was on TV. My mom would sit us down on the couch and just say, watch this. That's the only church that I ever saw. And when I saw people on Sunday morning dress up and go somewhere, I thought, well, those people are really stupid because they can stay home. They don't have to do that. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I seriously thought that. I thought, why don't y'all just stay in bed and sleep? Yeah, right. Because you could watch it at home on the couch. You're not the first person that shared that with me. That's how the, the church they had was Billy Graham 
on the couch. Um, there were people that did that. They wanted their kids to have the truth. They knew they needed that, but they weren't willing to really step into that. To the I think it was my mom's guilt, maybe, that she kind of knew the Lord, but mm-hmm. this was her way of saying, I'm going to show it to you just a little bit, right? but I'm still not going to take you to church, and I'm still not going to have a biblical home, and this is just a little bit of what you can see. Yeah, well, praise God for yes. that, right? That I, I got a little bit. Yeah, you yeah. had a little context for the church. Yeah. But it really changed me as far as my life, because... I realized that my children, I promised God when I became a Christian when I was 30 years old, I would promise God I would raise my children in church, and I did. And they are all believers, and my son actually is a pastor because of that. Yeah, that's amazing. Pastor looks like Jesus, right? He does. (laughs) He does. Actually, Sam was raised in this church uh, from a little, uh, just a baby. I actually remember him. They took him at Christmas time, and he played little Jesus, and they actually uh-huh. passed him around in the congregation as a prop. <laughs> but um, Sam gives all of his glory to this church because he had Pastor Vic, and uh, he heard the word in mm-hmm. Pastor Kerry, and he gives all the glory to his beginnings and his yeah, roots. Yeah, being in the church, um, it does make a difference. So fast forward, tell us a little about a little bit about. You've had some experiences in the last few years. Do you want to walk us through that? And I would love to. What I'm about to tell you is not something that you would hear every day. It is an experience that I never thought in my life that would ever happen to me because I've never been in the hospital with a broken bone, surgery, or anything. I've been very, very healthy. And being in this situation just was actually unbelievable to me. On um, Good Friday, it was um, right after a Bible study, my son, I made him um, connect my friends together on the internet, and we had a Bible study on Friday mornings where we could all talk, and I remember it was just, I had just finished that, and I laid my Bible down, and my pen was on my Bible, and it was just that morning, and I felt good, and I was so happy, and this was Two years ago, it was April the 10th, 2020. Typical day for me, I was getting ready, putting makeup on, and my dog, which I had a huge American bulldog named Petey that was absolutely beautiful. He was 120 pounds, very muscular, and he was just a, a sweetheart. And he played with my grandchildren, he played with my children, and everybody loved Petey. And uh, my chihuahua that I have is very mean, and he often tormented Petey to the point where he would bite him and actually hang on to his jaw as Petey walked through the house. (laughs) So there was this uh, tormenting that my chihuahua had done to Petey, and one day I just walked through our little TV room, and my um, American bulldog got up off my chair and actually attacked my chihuahua, actually put half of my chihuahua in his mouth and crunched down. I will never forget the shrill of that sound. And being a mom that I am, I rushed in and got the chihuahua out of his mouth, pulled it out. The little chihuahua ran. And I forgot to tell this in the story a lot of times. The chihuahua did survive. He did go to the vet and survive. But for some reason, Petey turned around and started biting me. Mm. Not just little bites, but completely bone-crushing bites. He started with my hand. As I backed up, he got one arm. He broke my arm in half. 
he went to the other arm and he crunched down and he broke my other arm. And then he started biting both of my arms viciously like I was just a piece of meat. And I was so scared that he was going to finish me out. I didn't even think that I was going to make it. And my arms and hands were just dangling and blood was everywhere. As I was backing up, I went into a bathroom and he was still following me. And I don't know what it is, but I call this my God moment. I stepped over a little rim in the bathtub with both feet and I leaned against the wall like I was in a fetal position, not knowing where my hands or arms were. And I just look at Petey and he looked at me and he turned around and left. I call that a God moment because he didn't like to take a bath. So he didn't go over the rim. Mm. So I'm sitting here thinking, what am I going to do? I got out of the tub and I kicked the door with my foot. And I knew I had just had Bible study, so I knew where my phone was. And I just kept saying, Lord, please help me. I can't do this. Lord, help me. And I gathered up whatever I could get of my arms and hands with blood, bones, and everything showing. And I just plopped everything on the dresser where the phone was. And I just cried out, God, please help me. And I was able to push the phone with something. I don't know what. And my husband's number comes up. And I'm like, oh, thank God, I've got help. And the whole time, I'm still just bleeding so bad. And blood was all over the phone. And my husband said, hey, what's up? He was at the grocery store. And I said, I need an ambulance. PD has really gotten me bad. He said, I'll be right there. He left the groceries, ran. He was only five minutes away. He come to the door. And PD met him, wagging his tail like nothing had happened, completely covered in blood. My husband grabbed his collar, threw him out in the backyard, ran up the stairs, and the look on his face was was scary. It was very scary. We got a towel and we just threw pieces of me in the towel and I kind of held it together. And we both dialed 911 on our phone. And when that happened, our phones both locked up. There was no help, no ambulance, no nothing. And we were like, oh my gosh, we need someone. Because actually the ambulance people were right across the street. We thought, okay, this is going to be easy. They're just going to come over here and get me. Nothing. A couple minutes passed and my husband said, we can't wait. And I'm like, but they'll come. And he said, they're not coming, Gloria. We have to go. And I said, okay, how am I supposed to walk down the stairs? What am I? He said, just come with me. And I said, again, God, please help me. And we did find out later that uh, when you do call 911, your phone will lock up until they know where you're at. They were trying to find our location because um, afterwards, my husband did talk with a police officer and said, why didn't you come? And he said, we didn't know where you were at. We were still trying to work on that. We didn't find your address. So we get to the rescue squad, and I'm sitting in the truck, and my husband goes over and tries to bang on the door. There's nobody there. So this was the second time when nobody was there. So I just was the whole time. I never forgot my faith, and I never forgot that God is with me. And I said, God, please open the door for us. Open the door. We need help. So my husband just happened to look up, and there was a button that you push there, in the Grotto's rescue squad, and he pushed the button, and they said, how can we help you? He said, "Uh, my wife is dying. She's been attacked by a dog, and we need help. And they said, we're two minutes away. Oh, what relief, what relief. I just, I didn't scream. I didn't cry. All I did was held myself together because I was afraid if I let go, then I was going to be in hysterics. 
So they came, and actually it was a family member that was working that morning, and her name is Jolene, and she took one look at me, and she said, we need Pegasus. And when she said that word, it just pierced my heart, Mm -hmm. because whoever wants to hear, we need Pegasus for you. I'm like, oh my, and I still didn't panic. Because I knew God was going to walk me through this. And if I died, I knew where I was going to go because I knew that I was a Christian and it was just going to be that way. So she started getting on her phone as they were trying to get me in the ambulance, trying to just do something with what they could do with. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm still not screaming because I knew that, you know, I had to keep it together. Well, everybody started calling everybody and they're saying, we can't fly today. It's too windy. And I know it's 20 minutes to Charlottesville. I know that. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to hold on for 20 more minutes. No way. And she said, uh, please. She got on the phone. She called her son. And her son knew all the helicopter drivers. And he asked somebody personally, this is somebody in my family. Could you please fly? And she says, I'll do it. But you've got to meet me at Sentara. And they said, I think we can get to Sentara. So they get me into the ambulance, and my husband says, what's going to happen now? And they said, well, we're going to take her to Sentara, and then we're going to rush her to the trauma team at UVA. And he said, I'm not riding with you. I'm going to UVA in my car. So he got in his car. They took me in the ambulance. I don't remember anything but screaming for an entire 10 minutes, like a wild animal just screaming my lungs out. And they kept saying, it's okay, honey, it's okay. Well, I knew I was getting help, and that was a little bit of relief, and that's why I was able to cry. And God opened the doors for this helicopter driver to take me because they had said no. So they get me in the helicopter, and I don't remember a whole lot, but I do remember the sound. The sound of the helicopter was choo-choo, 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 choo And I remember that being so loud. But when I was in the helicopter... My life flashed before me, and I know you've heard that before, but until that happens to you, you don't know what that is, but you see yourself, you see your life, and it's like a movie screen that's like this and this and this and this. Well, the movie screen was getting darker, and it was starting to fade, and I remember saying to myself, I'm going to die. I feel it. I'm going to die, and I felt it just fading and fading, and I remember thinking, okay, if God's going to take me, he's going to take me, and it's going to be all right. And we get to Charlottesville, and I just remember the rush of jerking me out of the bed of the um, the helicopter, and I remember there were a whole bunch of people around me, and it was a trauma team. Well, they have a teacher over at UVA named Dr. Shabra, and he is the best surgeon you could ever want in the world. He actually teaches all the interns. He was walking out the door at the moment that he got the call that a trauma's coming in. That's a God thing, because who would have thought I would get the best surgeon that there ever was? And he gathered his team, and he said, you know, he was ready to go home for the weekend to be with his family, but when they get calls like that, they stop and they gather the team. He gathered like four doctors, and they rushed me into trauma. My husband drove 120 miles an hour and he actually beat Pegasus in. He, he's in the emergency room and they tell him he's got to go because it's COVID. He said, I'm not going. My wife just came in in Pegasus and 
I'm not going. And they said, you have to. Well, there wasn't many arguments going on because he was determined to stay and he was the only one in there. And uh, they said, well, we're going to get security to take you out. And he said, is that security? And they said, yes. He said, well, you're going to need like 10 more men to take me because I'm staying in here because my wife, it's she may die right now. So they get me into the trauma team and you think that People, like, have one doctor. Well, they take my arms and try to put them together, and there's four doctors working on me, they tell me. And they assess me, and an intern comes out and calls my husband, and he said, "Um, she's bad, she's not stable now, and what we're going to do is we need your permission to amputate both of her arms. And he said, whatever you need to do to keep her, I don't, it's whatever. And he's sitting in the waiting room thinking, okay, they're going to, amputate her arms or she's not going to make it and he's very like pitiful he's just they didn't ask him to leave because he was so upset so that's all he knew that's all he knew and and he was sitting there thinking you know what am I going to do and so they kept coming out and giving him updates and you know she's she's in surgery you know we we're doing the best that we can and they come out and they say to him we think we've got her stable she's got the breathing tube in but Whatever you want to say to her, just come back and say it. And I don't know what he whispered in my ear, but it must have been the hardest thing that anybody ever had to do to say their goodbyes. And it breaks my heart to this day to know that he had to go through that. But he did what he did, and he watched me with my tube down my throat and ready to prep for surgery, and they said, we've got to go. And he walked out not knowing again what was going to happen. So back in surgery, um, the doctors were working on me, and he waited six complete hours straight to wait for news. And um, he was approached, and they said to him, Mr. Munson, sit down. And he thought, well, she's gone. She's passed. And they said, we have got her back to being stable, but it's COVID, and we have finished with surgery And we are going to uh, let you speak with her just a couple of minutes because you're not going to be able to see her for a long time because she's going to be at the hospital for a while. And at that point, he knew that I was going to live. And I didn't know I was going to live because I was still out in the black. And the last thing I remember is coming out of the helicopter. He came back into the hospital and they said, we are going to let you say goodbye, but we need to put all this stuff on you because it's COVID and you know, we, we're going to take you through some hallways. And, you know, when you get home, you're going to have to be quarantined for two weeks. But, you know, I know you want to see her. So they had the tube down my throat. They had finished surgery. And, of course, I am so packed up that you could only see my tiny, tiny fingertips that were just full of blood. That's all you could see. And they had me wrapped up like I was the biggest mummy in the world. Don't remember it. But I do remember I opened my eyes and the nurse said she's really going to choke here because I'm getting ready to take the tube out of her. And he said, you know, Gloria, look at me, look at me. And he took it out. And I looked at him. And the first question that I asked him is, did little Dewey make it? And I, I was worried about my little chihuahua. And he said, yes. And I said, do I have hands? And he said, yes, you have hands. And then I said, I've got something to tell you. I saw Jesus. And he looked at me. And he said, what? And he said, I lit up and my sparkled like I was three years old. And I said, I had a conversation with Jesus. He was there with me. I was in a white room and he asked me if I wanted to go or stay. And I said, I want to go home. 
I want to go home to my family and my grandchildren. I want to go home. And the light blinked off and it was gone. It was like somebody just turned the light switch like off. And then I was back into reality. But I know who was with me and I know that it was God. He was talking to me and I know for real there is a God. So they take me back and I'm in isolation by myself for 10 complete days with no phone because how can I even answer the phone? I had people to feed me, give me drinks and change me and help me in bed, out of bed. And it was the most embarrassing time of my life to have people take care of my bathroom needs that I didn't know. And I remember a big guy came in and he was like six foot something with dreads and I'm looking at him and I'm saying, uh, who are you? And he goes, I'm the charge nurse. And I remember laughing, thinking, you're going to take care of my bathroom niece? Look at you. You look like a basketball player, you know, like, I'm like, wow. He says, yes, ma'am, I'll take care of you. But I remember it was the best care that I ever had in my life. And as I was in there, I can only see my bloody fingertips. Why they didn't clean my fingers, I don't know. But they said they were going to watch me for three days. In three days, they could tell me whether my hands were going to make it or not. They think they got everything attached, and they were hopeful. That's what the word they gave me. They were hopeful. So for three days, I had people pinching my fingers, pinching me, waiting to see the blood flow, and God showed up again. On the third day, they said, you are a miracle. We have never seen this. You are a survival of people that usually don't make it. They said, we see bear attacks and we see mountain lion attacks, but you are the only survivor that we have seen that has been through an attack like that. And I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. So on the third day, it was kind of like, kind of neat. It was like when Christ on the third day, he arose, they said, you are going to have fingers and you're going to have hands and I'm like how much luckier can I get the struggle was real and it was five surgeries and I did lose some fingers I only have half a hand um, on my left hand which was a struggle to go through life again learning how to do things a different way both of my arms are not pretty but I don't care I'm still pretty because I got to live and God got to help me I'm thankful and I'm humble and I give all of my glory to God I am not at all going around saying oh I survived this I'm saying God showed up in the right places when it didn't look good and um, I am thankful so have any other questions (laughs) wow that is an amazing story, and um, God is never early, but He's never late, is right. He? Nope, He's not. I know that that was not only a journey for you, but a journey for your husband and your children. Um, I've, I kept up with that journey, and it's not been easy, but God has been faithful to you. And I think that today is a story of hope. It is, and there was like one more thing when I was in the hospital. Everybody, my husband asked everybody to light a candle at six o'clock. I think it was on a Tuesday, and Candles were lit all over the United States, even in Canada. For me, there were so many people following me and wishing me well, and um, that's very humbling to me. And my brother has these lanterns that you turn on and off, and he keeps them off. And I remember him telling me that he prayed so hard that I would have hands and arms. He walked into his garage, and he cannot explain it. He said the lantern was burning, 
He did not turn it on. And he knew at that moment that I was going to have hands and arms. And to this day, he calls that God's little light, his shining miracle, that that one little lantern was just burning at the time that everybody was burning candles. Gloria, I mean, a lot of things stick out to me, but you were talking about different God moments along the way. Despite, Absolutely. Despite the difficulty of this situation and the hard, maybe even seemingly hopeless at times of the situation, just how God showed up and how he even showed up and spoke to you and asked you if you wanted to stay or if you wanted to go home and how he revealed himself to you in that difficult situation. And that brings me hope and uh, I think... Uh, will hopefully bring hope, uh, I know, to those listening today. And so thank you um, for sharing with us. And anything else about, I know you're still in this, as you mentioned, you're trying to learn to live with one hand, the other one partial hand, um, just how he's helped you through this difficult situation, even in the process of the day-to-day. Yes, I attend um, a church redeeming grace in Pineville, and... um, I'm not ashamed to say it's Pentecostal, and I absolutely love it. So whenever you have a need, Pastor John is always there taking it seriously. And I remember one day I said, Pastor John, I really want a prosthetic, but they're very, very hard to get, and they cost $20,000. And usually everybody is denied because they look at it as an accessory. And uh, I remember the whole entire church and Pastor John just praying so hard that God would open an avenue for me to get a prosthetic. And we put all the insurance papers in, and I'm holding my breath, and there it is again. They called me and said, Gloria, your prosthetic has been approved. You only have to pay $900. And all of a sudden, in the next few days, in the mail, a special friend sent me $1,000 to pay for the rest of the prosthetic. And again, I am awed at God's beauty and his generosity and the way he works things out for people. And that prosthetic has been a godsend for me. Right now, it's it's in, it's being sent away for doing some minor adjustments to it, but it is a beautiful thing to me, and I love wearing it. And again, God just helped me. And with that prosthetic, I'm able to do pretty much everything that I was supposed to do with two hands, and I'm grateful for it. One other thing that sticks out to me just go back before you started telling this story and I think it's important also is you mentioned that you know you weren't raised in a Christian home you didn't weren't raised going to church just watching Billy Graham on TV but you mentioned that you came to Christ at age 30 and I just wondered um, what happened that uh, drew you to Christ at that point in your life when you're not a Christian you're desperate and you have bad days and you have hopelessness I had just been told that I don't want to be married to you anymore after I was married to somebody for four years, and I basically lost it. All I did was drink alcohol and numb the pain, and it was the hardest time in my entire life. I was doing hair, and the lady invited me to a revival on Roosevelt Street at the Nazarene Church, and I didn't want to go, but I knew that I needed something. I just needed something to relieve the pain, and I went there all by myself, no support, sat down in that church in the back, and I remember God sent somebody to me. He sent Pam Walter to me, and she sat beside me, and she didn't know me, and I didn't know her, and she let me know that she would walk through me with this journey, and she did. She was my faithful friend in the church, 
for many, many years, and I call her my mentor, my angel, and I give credit to her for walking me through the whole entire Christian journey, and I've never turned back, and I am faithful to people like her that would help me, and when I accepted Christ, I went to the altar on Roosevelt Street. Your dad was the pastor, and I just knelt down, and I just gave it all to at the cross. I said, Lord, I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to hurt like this. I don't want to drink alcohol anymore. I don't want this life anymore. I want a brand new spanking life, and he gave it to me. Faithful. He is. He met me at that altar too. So you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. I was in the same, not the exact same situation, but I was broken and he met me there. It's a good word for this dark day, the dark days we're in. I call it in a cement room down in the ground in the darkness and you don't see the light. You get stuck there when you're not a Christian. You look for all kinds of things for help. You grab. You grab this and you grab that just to kind of give you a little relief. But the real relief is knowing Jesus Christ and just grabbing onto him. People make it so hard. It's not hard. It's just saying, I want a new life. I want a new beginning. And Lord, will you just walk with me? That's all it is. It's it's not like having to read the Bible every day, going to church every Sunday, even though that helps to fellowship with people. But it's just say, I want, I want something different. I want some peace and relief. And I, and I want what people are talking about. And Jesus will come in and little by little, you will see the light. And it is a beautiful, beautiful journey. Gloria, thank you for joining us today. It's been great to have you and to hear your story and your testimony of how God I was faithful to save your life and is still faithful as you journey through this. It's been great to have you. Thank you so much. I'm humbled and I've enjoyed it very much. And my hope is that people will look up and ask, God, help me, and he will show up. Thank you for tuning into today's broadcast of Hope Talks. We pray that as you've heard Gloria Plymel Munson's testimony today, that it truly has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Hope Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Hope Talks. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe for all the updates and latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg or Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.